Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame again this week. I am Keith Collins, your host, and I'm blessed as always to know that you're listening today from wherever you're at. And we know that we are reaching people throughout the United States as well as people around the world And we are honored to know that you are listening to this program today. My prayer is that as you listen, that you'll be encouraged, you'll be challenged, and really that you'll be brought to a deeper level of hunger and desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there is an ongoing progressive unveiling of who the Lord is in our lives. We know that Scripture is very clear who He is. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, as well as the nations. He's our King. He's also the Creator, right? He's God in flesh. And we we know what the Bible says about Him. I, I love the description that John gives of Him on the Isle of Patmos when he sees Him. He said that his face was white like the sun or was bright like the sun, that his hair was white like wool. He said a sword protruded out of his mouth. His eyes were like a flame, like flames of fire. I mean, this incredible descriptive um, view of Jesus that he had was, was so overwhelming that the word of God says that he literally fell to the ground as, as a dead man would fall. And of course, the Lord touched him and brought him back up. But he, he's glorious. He's transcendent. He's all-powerful. He's all-wonderful. There is none like him. Once you experience him, nothing nor no one will ever satisfy you again. That's why the Word of God, he says, Oh, taste and see that I am good. When you partake of Jesus, the bread of life, the bread that came down out of heaven, then my friend, the things of this world cannot and will not ever satisfy you again. And really, that's that's the purpose of this broadcast, this program. We have a hunger, we have a desire, we have a passion to make you more in love with Jesus, to make you more hungry for Jesus. I, I love Paul in Ephesians as he talks about in that first part of that, that letter. He talks about how high and deep and wide the love of God is and his prayer for the church of Ephesus is that they would have revelation and wisdom and understanding that these things would become so real to them. So when we talk about maintaining the flame of God, we're talking about a people that are saturated, 
of people that are overwhelmed, of people that are overtaken by the glory of Jesus Christ, of people that live unto Jesus. So my prayer is that over these next several minutes that we have together today that that you'll be awakened on a deeper level, that you'll be revived on a deeper level. Maybe you're listening and maybe there was a time in your life when you were so in love with Jesus, you were spending time in prayer, you were spending time with the people of God, you were maybe doing work on the streets where you're witnessing and sharing your testimony, but maybe you've grown cold and indifferent, and maybe you're still going through the motions of maybe attending a, a local church setting or maybe even going to Bible college. However, there's there's no passion, there's no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no holy desperation for the things of God. Well, I'm believing today that you're going to encounter the Lord as I continue this week to share on the subject of we need revival. We need revival in the church. We need awakening in the nations. But again, revival starts in the people of God. It always has. If you look at the Old Testament, as I've shared in the last couple of weeks, in some ways, if you look at the Old Testament, whenever the people of God would humble themselves, as Chronicles tells us, and they would they would humble themselves, they would pray, they would seek the Lord, they would turn from their wicked ways, and the Lord would hear from heaven. He would forgive their sins. He would heal their land. And we see this pattern throughout the history of Israel. And I believe we've seen the same pattern throughout the history of the church. So, so there is, um, we could call it a biblical formula, and it starts with humility. It starts with acknowledging that we are in need of God. And as I look at the condition of so much of the church, as I look at the condition of so much of America, I know, my friend, that we are in desperate need of the Lord. So this is part three of a series that I am calling We Need Revival. We Need Revival in the Church. So I want to reread a quote that I read the first word the first week, excuse me, by a man named G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan said this, We cannot organize revival, but we can set ourselves to catch the wind of heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. So I've told you that we can no more hold a revival than we can hold a tornado or a hurricane. However, There are elements that we see in the Word of God, that we see in the history of even the church, as well as the people of God, the children of Israel. There are are elements, there are dynamics, there are even, I would say, prerequisites that supersede a great move of God or a great outpouring. And I was just recently, this past weekend, in the state of Florida, North Florida, really the area that I'm, I'm from, or pretty close to the area that I'm from, and just with a great group of people there that are, again, crying out for revival. It seems everywhere I go, there's a hunger for the church to be revived. Um, many people are just not wanting to just go through the motions, but they are desirous of a deeper experience with the Lord. As a result, they are crying out to Him. They're asking God to move they're asking God to show forth His glory in their generation. So as we're crying out to God, again, let me just review a little bit. We need to remember that revival is something that is the sovereign act of God. In other words, God begins to move sovereignly. So therefore, G. Campbell Morgan says, when the Lord decides to blow upon His people, 
then we need to have our sail set to receive the wind of his spirit and allow him to do the deep work that he wants to do. But, but let me just say this. The fact this, this day is this. Authentic heaven-sent revival is really beyond explanation and comprehension, I believe. It, it supersedes the, the finite mind or understanding of humanity. It, it really belongs in a category that is, um, that is beyond understanding. In other words, when God begins to move in such power, when God begins to move in such demonstration then we can only say that God is doing this. Therefore, as I shared last week, when revival happens, it's not about a personality. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a worship team or a worship leader. It's not about a church or the name of a church or a denomination or whatever. But revival is about Jesus being glorified in the midst of his people. It's about a people coming alive and awakened to the fact that only Jesus can be glorified, and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to even bring that glorification in proper perspective. But when the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of Christ begins to move among His people, then my friend, we have to stand back and say, only God can do these things. I've shared the last couple of weeks, I was in the midst of the Brownsville revival that started on Father's Day of 1985 at Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida, my hometown. And I was in many, many, many meetings there. I was involved in the school as a student, first of all, then became the the dean of men and then the pastoral care director and eventually became the president as well as a faculty member of that school. And um, it was an amazing, amazing time. Again, we saw... Over three million people come from around the world, and and night after night, people getting radically set free from sin, from Satan, and from self. And as I look back on that, as I've already shared, but I just want to just say this again, the thing that stands out to me the most was the, the weighty presence of God, His holiness, His fire. I've told you that I believe the greatest revival scripture in the Word of God is Hebrews 12, 29. Our God is a consuming fire. Listen, the consuming fire of God engulfed that place week after week after week after week. And... I remember, you know, you can't um, take it away from me. I've, I've heard people and I've read things where people denounced it and called it flesh and emotionalism. Well, listen, anytime there's a revival throughout history, we can see where there's been three things activating. There's human spirits, there's demon spirits, but oftentimes, of course, and ultimately, if it's really God, there's the Holy Spirit moving. And and I remember one preacher said that when the light's on, it draws bugs. So anytime God is moving, of course, there are manifestations that might not even be God. At the same time, I know that when the power of God, when the weighty presence of God impacts even human flesh, oftentimes there's going to be different type of reactions. And that's that's a whole other discussion. I'm not going to talk about manifestations per se. But, but if you want to talk about what was really taking place, the holiness of God, which brought deep conviction that led to godly sorrow, that led to repentance. This was the 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 marker of the Brownsville revival. This was the the signature sign of what God was doing. God was bringing people back to 
him back to repentance. They were being revived, and, and many of the people were prodigals, or they were cold or indifferent, as well as people that had never known the Lord Jesus. I mean, they, they were getting radically saved. And listen, I was, I was also on the prayer team at the Brownsville Revival, and if you weren't there, basically, at the conclusion of every service, um, the evangelist Steve Hill would finish preaching. There would be an altar call. And then there was a time whenever people would just begin to lay hands on people. And you might have different thoughts of, of, about that, but but I'm telling you, God used it powerfully. But but I, I remember those nights. I would be praying for people. And more than once, I mean, I actually, many times, a leader was standing before me. I was like a 30-year-old man at the time. I was much younger than I am now, maybe 32. But But anyhow, as I would pray for them, I would hear sometimes leads or lead pastors or people that were overseeing ministries they would say things to me like please pray for me i've been in secret sin i've been in adultery and my wife doesn't know it and and i've got to make this known i'm going to have to step down from my church or i remember one man told me that he had actually stolen money from his church and he knew that he would probably go to jail but what i'm saying is the deep conviction of God was brought about. Friend, that's that's a signature sign of a sovereign move of God. When God begins to deal with the hearts of humanity in such a way that they must come clean before God and before man. In other words, uh, such a deep surgical work of the sovereignty of God that, that it brings men and it brings women and it brings young people to the place to where they are so desperate to be purified by the power of the blood of Jesus that nothing else makes sense, even though it might bring humiliation, it might bring embarrassment to repent even publicly. They're willing to do that. Listen, I was connected with a church at the time that was a Southern Baptist church, and, and God began to move there powerfully. We began to have Monday night prayer meetings, and, and oftentimes we would visit the Brownsville Revival from this church, and the Lord just supernaturally plugged my wife and I into that church as I was even a student at the school at Brownsville. But, um, but there were times in that meeting, in those prayer meetings, as well as on Sunday mornings, and people would literally get up and confess sin before the congregation and some people that you would have never dreamed these things were in their lives but they they were experiencing God in such a deep way in this church that they had to get right with God so you see my friend when God begins to move in power when God begins to demonstrate among his people oftentimes the sovereignty of God that that sovereign move of God that's beyond the, the gift of a preacher or an orator that's beyond even an evangelist, even though God uses their preaching and the things that they say, but, but God begins to stir and he begins to do a deep work in the hearts of humanity. So when I'm talking about revival, again, I'm not talking about filling the church with people and filling the parking lot with cars. I'm not talking about just something that, that has excitement and motivation and joy and all those things can definitely, and they are a part of revival. I understand that. But but listen, friend, oftentimes God comes to scorch before he comes to heal. He He purifies. He He allows his fire to burn in such a way that that it burns away all the impurity. It burns away the dross. It, it causes those things not of God to rise to the surface and as a result we must deal with them so listen with that being a reality the focus in revival must continually stay upon the lord why he's the source or the the beginning the genesis of every true revival past present and future therefore it is imperative i believe to know 
that he will not and, care, and cannot share his glory with any man, with any woman in the midst of visitation. This mindset will, and I believe, has, has actually quenched revival throughout church history. I believe a lot of great moves of God have been hindered or um, stopped in the path, so to speak, because man began to claim the glory for the thing that only God can do. So when we're talking about revival, number one, um, we have to realize that it's not about a personality. It's not about, hey, Billy Graham's here or such and such is here. And again, God uses vessels. He uses instruments. I, I don't have any um, qualm with that. And we can study the, the history of revival. We'll see the Evan Roberts in, in the Welsh revival. We'll see the um, Duncan Campbell in the Hebrides revival in 1949. We see William Seymour 1906 through 1909 in the Azusa Street revival. Um, we see Charles Finney back in the 1800s, the First Great Awakening. We see Jonathan Edwards, I'm sorry, the Second Great Awakening with Finney, the First Great Awakening, men like Jonathan Edwards. So God definitely uses instruments. However, no human, no man or woman can bring about such a sovereign move of God. They can be faithful to, to pray, to live in purity, and to preach the truth of the gospel, but only God can demonstrate through supernatural means what it means to send revival and to really bring about restoration and revivification or revival to his people. I, I like the... Um, the definition of Webster's Dictionary when it talks about revival. Listen to what it says. It says, it's a return or recovery to life from death. A return or recall to activity from a state of languor. Um, recall, return, or recovery from a state of neglect and a renew and more active attention to religion, an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. So I believe Webster does a pretty good job bringing definition to the word revival. In other words, revival, um, again, revival understands or the, the term of revival and the meaning for revival and the purpose for the, the revival simply says that men are sleeping along the way, that the church is in a place of languor. It's a, in a place of, of apathy. It's in a place of lethargy. And, and there's a, a spiritual dormancy that's come over the church. And as a result, there is a great need for a move of God. That's why, as I've, I've told you the last, I think last week I said, the reason that the awakenings in America, one in the seven, or one in the 1700s in the colonies, and then one in the 1800s in the northeast part of America primarily, the reason that these are called awakenings is because the church was in a place of spiritual slumber in spiritual sleep as to the things of God. And I believe as we look at so much of the church around the world, the church in America, the church in the western part of, of civilization right now, as we look and even other parts of the world, we can see that there is a dullness, there's a sleepiness that has come upon the church. So when we're calling for revival, again, it's important that we understand what we're praying for. I, I actually oftentimes when I teach in revival, I ask the question, do you really want revival? Do you really? Because revival comes to, to upturn our carts of religion. Re revival comes, as Jesus did, to clean out the temple and the money changers and all the corruption and all the vileness and all the hypocrisy and all the things that are grieving the heart of God. It's, it's, it's not just a soothing thing, even though God can bring all that. But, but the reality is revival, I'll say it this way, is a rebuke to the state of the church. It's, it was a rebuke to the state of Israel. God would allow 
Israel to even be overtaken by wicked kings oftentimes, and he would even strengthen those wicked kings to bring judgment against the people because the judgment of God would bring repentance. It would bring the people of Israel to a place of crying out to God and deep humility. God would send prophetic voices, a picture again of God being jealous for his own glory, which he's allowed to be because of who he is in the midst of Israel. And God would use these men as thundering rods, as firebrands to come and burn among the people. As a result, we see a pattern where Israel would would tear down idols. They would humble themselves. They would repent. They would cry out to God. Unfortunately, the pattern oftentimes was in to go back into sin, back into idolatry, which is the same situation for the church. And, and I know there's different thoughts about that, but, but I am convinced that there is a place in God. In other words, Keith Collins, myself, I don't have to wait for the rest of the church to wake up for me to be revived. So revival starts in the heart of an individual, maybe a small group of people. The 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 seedbed of every great move of God, I shared this yesterday in Florida, the seedbed of every great move of God is a is someone somewhere, some group of people somewhere that have humbled themselves and that have entered into the heart of God through true intercession and they begin to feel what God is feeling and as a result they begin to cry out for change in their generation. And friend, we are there right now. You see, revival consists of more than big meetings, religious excitement, a quickening of the saints, or a harvest of souls. One or more of these can happen without true revival, but authentic revival, I believe, produces all of those things and even much more. Listen to what Vance Havner says as he defines as he defines revival. Vance Havner said revival is a work of God's spirit among his own people. What we call revival is simply New Testament Christianity, the saints getting back to normal. Revival restores relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? Only Jesus satisfies a revived saint. Only Jesus satisfies a revived church. When a church is in lethargy and compromise and carnality, then they can feast on the perverted things of this world. They can talk like the world. They can listen to and watch what the world listens to and watches. They can fellowship with the spirit of this age, and it doesn't grieve them. They they have no... Um, They have no spiritual antenna or awareness about the condition of darkness and sin in the culture that we live in. But when we're revived, it's like our spiritual sensitivity is awakened. It's revived. It's renewed. And when we come into a divine union with Jesus Christ, and again, what he feels, we feel. What he sees, we see. We become like Jesus. We we bear his heart for our generation. And again, it starts with a burden for the church i was on a podcast this past week and sharing with with a brother and and basically the subject came up that a lot of the problem that we see in the nations right now can be laid at the feet of the church and i believe that's so true when the church becomes so much like the world that the world looks at us and says they're as bad as we are why should we want anything to do with them friend there's an issue there the church has to be revived the The repentance, the humility, the brokenness, the contrition must start at the church. You see, we're crying out for revival. Revival is like this divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual thing. It is literally God revealing himself 
to his church, to his people, in his awesome holiness and power and demonstration. On one level, really, revival is a source of glorious joy due to what it brings and produces. However, and again, we need to understand this when we're praying for revival. It is also a rebuke to the condition of those who claim to be followers of Jesus, yet live in coldness, indifference, compromise, and sin. I've, I've got a dear friend, Dr. Michael Brown, that we've been connected for well over two decades and have traveled some together and worked at a ministry together a few different times. But 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 he always talks about the fact that the church does not just need a re, an awakening or a revival, but the church needs a rude awakening and that's that's intense but listen revival can be a rude awakening it 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 awakens us it it jars us and we acknowledge oh my goodness we are asleep and didn't even know it keith green wrote a song years ago the late keith green that was called asleep in the light there are many people that are asleep with truth they have come through an experience where maybe they knew God and walked with God, but now they have fallen asleep even in the light, even with the Word of God, even with proper tenets of the faith, but they have become dull. They have become spiritually anemic and emaciated, and there's no power. There's no life. There's no passion. There's no holiness. There's no prayer and intercession. There's no evangelism. There's no missionary work. Friend, that, that is not who the church is called to be. We are to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ in the generation that we live in. We are the only hope for a dying world. Therefore, we need revival. You need revival. Keith Collins needs revival. You see, revival in its proper form, it is such a manifest working of God alone that human I believe personalities are overshadowed and human programs are abandoned. I, I've seen that God can do more in true revival in the matter of a day than we can do in 10 years through human ingenuity, human programs, and, and human ability. Revival is literally, it's like man retiring into the background because God has fully taken the platform. He's taken the stage of the church. He's taken the life of the church, and he begins to, to pulsate his purposes through the people of God. You see, revival, I believe, is what the church experiences first, and then evangelism is what we engage in, and then we make disciple. You see, revival will always vitalize God's people. But I'm going to tell you this as I close. It's not always welcome. For many, the price is too high. However, there is no cheap ticket to real revival. It requires an all-out repudiation of self-satisfied complacency, which I believe plagues many in the church, many in the religious world in the hour that we live in. You see, revival turns careless living into vital concern, self-indulgence into self-denial, and carnality and the love of this world into holiness and a passion for the heart of God. Yet revival is not some miraculous thing that just falls on people out of the sky, but revival is always anchored in a people that give themselves to repentance, to prayer, to desperation, to Romans 8, where groaning sometimes cannot be uttered as we feel the weight of God for a backslidden church and a dying generation and a dying world. You see, my friend, there's no shortcut to revival. As I, I close today, I want to encourage you, call out to God. You see, salvation is paid in full by the blood of Jesus. I understand that. However, the glory of God in the midst of revival will cost you, you. You've got to be fastened firmly 
to the cross to even pray effectively for true revival. And as we are sharing on the subject over this course of a few weeks, um, you know, this is a, a heavenly, eternal subject. And to be honest with you, I don't really feel qualified. I don't believe anybody that really knows the Lord on any level feels qualified to effectively discuss this subject. I don't feel totally qualified. However, I have experienced it. And um, I know what it is to to walk in the revelation, the progressive revelation of the holiness of Jesus. And friend, I don't ever want to leave it. And as I, I come to the end of this this program today, I believe the Lord is dealing with several hearts that are listening to this. Friend, get along with God. Seek His face. Be willing to lay aside everything that would hinder what God wants to do in your life. Revival will start with you. Personal revival always supersedes corporate revival. And as God is dealing with hearts everywhere around the world, around America, that are listening to this program today, my friend, I challenge you, I charge you as someone who loves the body of Christ, get along with the Lord today. Seek His face while He may be found. If you seek Him, He says, you will find Him. Thank you for listening today. We so appreciate it. You can find us on the internet at keith-collins.org. You can also find us at impactgf.org. We are honored to be coming to you week after week. And we pray that the fire of God would burn hotter and brighter in your life than ever before. We'll see you next week on Maintain the Flame. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.